You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So this is really a very significant day because we're finishing the tractate of Bikurim and we're finishing the tractate, the order of seeds. So tomorrow we'll begin a new, we'll begin Shabbat and we'll begin the order of uh, Moed, of, of festivals. And I thought it would be useful just, just to take a step back and see where we got to in terms of the tractate, in terms of the tractate of the Bikurim. Although, of course, stepping all the way back, stepping all of the way back into the order, we started, or we didn't start together, but the order begins at Barachot. So we've begun with Barachot, and then we've gone through. Barachot are blessings of things we enjoy, and then we've gone through all the offerings of these things that we enjoy. So I guess we can see that's connected. And then we finishing with the first, so we've begun with Barachot and we're finishing with first fruits. And in this tractate, the first chapter looked at what kind of people need to bring first fruits. Okay, you can see we're close to Barachot. What kind of products are liable? We learned about boundary cases and routes to the land. Routes are really important. In the second chapter, we morphed into the comparisons between Bikurim and other kinds of offerings, and then comparisons between different kinds of trees and then animals. Before in the third chapter, getting into the detail of how you, we bring Bikurim, how it works, status of Bikurim, and more connections to the land. And then the fourth chapter goes back into comparisons between obligations of people who are male and female and indeterminate. And we said yesterday that this last chapter is really copied from the second chapter of the Tosefta, and actually doesn't appear in um, doesn't appear in major manuscripts. I mean, we are studying it actually because it's on the daily cycle, but it doesn't appear in the Kaufman manuscript, which is our general manuscript. The Rambam doesn't comment on it. It's not in the Jerusalem Talmud. It's it, it's a late edition. Let's jump back into the, the Mishnah. It, it follows the same pattern, by the way, as the Mishnah on the koi. Remember, the koi is the animal that is neither domestic or, or wild, nor wild. And the Mishnah then talks about ways in which it's like a domestic animal, ways it's like a wild animal, ways it's like both, and ways it's like neither. And we're going to follow exactly the same pattern. In the Tosefta, actually, these, Mish, the, these Mishnah appear in order. The, the hermaphrodite right after the koi. So yesterday we dealt with um, why the um, hermaphrodite is like uh, like men and why he's like or she's like women. And today we're going to ask the question: How is the hermaphrodite like men and women? And it's very interesting that the Mishnah. I think of this Mishnah as very modern, and I, I know it's not modern, and I know it's not connected with today's notions of gender fluidity, but in some ways it's very modern. And it starts by articulating what we might think of as basic human uh, rights or principles. Someone who strikes him or curses him is liable, just as in the case of men or women. You have to treat a hermaphrodite just with the same respect you treat a man or a woman. 
someone who unwittingly kills him goes into exile and if on purpose receives a death penalty um, just like in the case of men or women his mother um, his mother must bring an offering just as in the case of men or women this, this is after his birth and he can inherit just as in the case of men or women. So I guess, of course, in biblical law, men inherit first, but but women do inherit if there are no men. So the hermaphrodite will inherit if there isn't a man to take precedence over him. And then this this weird puzzle that we saw in the discussion about the koi. Um, remember that in this case of the koi, the Mishnah says, look, what if someone says, uh, swears I'll be a, a nazir if this animal is neither wild nor domesticated? And the, the Mishnah comes back and says exactly the same thing. If someone says, I'll be a nazir if this is a man and a woman, the Bartanur is here, by the way, translates and a woman as or a woman a man or a woman and that makes more sense and the mishnah of the koi that we looked at actually had man or woman i think in the kaufman manuscript anyway someone says here i'm going to be a nazir if this is a man and a woman or a man or a woman hareza in nazir he is a nazir and Generally, the halacha is that we treat these vows strictly. So in an, indeterm in an indeterminate case, like someone who has both male and female organs, if someone makes that vow, we are going to interpret it strictly. And we'll see the next Mishnah that if he makes exactly the opposite vow, we still call him a Nazir. That's the fourth Mishnah. And then we ask, in what way is he different? Is he not similar? Um, to Is he different from both men and women? And apologies for the pointing here. I, I had to construct, I constructed this text more or less from the Kaufman, but I had to type it out and I, I can't type out with um, vowel points. One doesn't... Um, um, you, there's no lie. There's no liability on his um, uncleanness. For in, and this refers actually to, to um, liability if you enter the temple on for, after coming into contact with his uncleanness. And you don't burn truma, for example, that comes into contact with him, his uncleanness. And that's because all these halachot about uncleanness are, if you like. Um, are are in case of doubt. We don't know this is because we don't know whether he's certainly a man or certainly a woman. All issues to do with his uncleanness are unclear. So, for example, you wouldn't just you might if truma is certainly tamer, you'd have to destroy it because you can't give it to a kohen. But if it's possibly tamer, that's different. We can't actively destroy it, so we wait until it became certainly tamer. What are the other kind of grey areas? You can't value him like men or women. 
in um, at the end of Vayikra, there's um, some pusukim that uh, allow someone to make a vow to give the value of a person to the Mikdash. And again, this is very contentious today. The estimated value of a man is 50 shekels and of a woman is 30 shekels. We can't value um, an androgynous on that basis because we don't know whether he's a man or a woman. So the halacha is a non-erach. We don't, we can't value him. We can't value him like men and we can't value him like women. And then we go on, ein nimkar eved ivri. We can't sell him as an eved ivri. Luch anashim anashim, neither like a man nor like a woman. A, a, a man, if he's over the age of majority, can be sold as a Hebrew slave, typically when he can't repay a debt. I mean, he may be sold or he may sell himself for six years in order to repay his debts. The woman can't be sold. And kind of reflexively, a, a man is a, a father. Again, this is very shocking today, but a father can well, learn about this in the Mishnah of Kiddushin. A father is allowed to sell his daughter as a maidservant, as an Amar Ivriah, when she's below the age of majority. So this idea of selling someone into slavery, into Hebrew slavery, by the way, applies to men when they're adults and to women before they're adults. But if we don't know whether this person is male or female, then there's no age at which they can certain, there's no age at which these halachot, these halachot really apply to them. If, 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 if the hermaphrodite is an adult woman, she can't be sold. And if the, the hermaphrodite is a, a, a below the age of majority man, then he can't be sold. So that's why the Mishnah says, Ein nimkar evidivri. Whichever way you work it, you can't do it. You can't sell them as an evidivri. And then a reflection of the previous Mishnah. Exactly the opposite from the Mishnah above. If someone says, I'll be a Nazir, if he's neither a man nor a woman, then he becomes a Nazir. It seems that Making this vow to be a nazir turns you, if you, basically triggers um, triggers nazirut. It, it it sort of triggers a positive outcome, whether you make it one way or the other, with regard to an androgynous hermaphrodite. And then Rabbi Yossi concludes, androgynous briah bifneatzma the hermaphrodite is a unique creature and sages couldn't decide whether he was a man or a woman but aval tumtum ken a tumtum is someone whose whose genetic organs are just not evident they're not visible at all so we have no idea really what his I mean, and sometimes, by the way, they develop late. So it may become apparent later in his or her life what the gender is. But the tumtum refers to someone whose organs are effectively hidden. So we have no idea whether they are male or female, unlike a hermaphrodite who actually has both male and female organs. And so the Mishnah continues. So the, the, the hermaphrodite with male and female organs is Briabifneatzmai, a unique creature. But a tumtum, Rabbi Yossi says, aval tumtum ain't ken, it's not like that. Pa'amim shehu ish 
pa'amim shehu isha. Sometimes it's a person, sometimes it's a man, and sometimes it's a woman. And that's the end of the Mishnah of Bikurim. And so we can say the Hadran. Hadran alach masachet Bikurim vehadrach alam. We will return to you, tractate Bikurim, and you will return to us. Da'atan alach masachet Bikurim vedatach alan. Our mind is on you, tractate Bikurim, and your mind is on us. We will not lo nit nashem inach masachet Bikurim. We will not forget you, tractate Bikurim. Velo tit nashem inan. And you will not forget us. Lo ba'al mahadein velo not in this world and not in the next world. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.